I'm Adam Henson, and I've teamed up with Argria Pet Insurance to discuss everything you'll need to know about your beloved pets. Are you all ears? It's a perfect time to really appreciate the earth in all its prime beauty. We know that going green and switching to more sustainable ways of living is so important in this day and age, especially as we move towards a more carbon neutral future. Agria have just announced that it's become carbon positive. When it comes to our pets, it can be easy to get confused about what is sustainable and what isn't. So for today's episode, we're here to help you on your way to becoming a pet-powered eco-warrior. That's why we're joined by Anthony Chadwick, who is CVO of Alpha Vet International and is a veterinary dermatologist. He's also known as the Webinar Vet. Anthony is also a futurist and is fascinated about new technologies that can support us in becoming more sustainable. So he's the right guy to ask about eco-friendly pet practices. Hi, Anthony. Welcome to All Ears. Hello, Adam. Thanks very much. Now, you've got a fascinating background. So how exactly is pet ownership not sustainable or green? I suppose what we've seen over the last two years, and hopefully we're coming towards the end of the pandemic, is a massive growth in pet ownership. That's also been allied with fewer vets um, in the field because of Brexit and also obviously vets having to work in a different way with social distancing. So it's created some issues around people being able to to see their vets, but obviously also the increase in number of pets. Every pet, like ourselves, has a carbon footprint. So the more and more pets we have, the bigger the carbon footprint there is. And obviously, we're on this journey that we know a lot about through COP26, which is all about becoming carbon neutral. So we have to look at ways that we can do things differently, the way that we look after our pets, the way that we feed them. So there are some challenges ahead, but I think as you know, as you've said, there are always solutions. So hopefully, uh, with some advice, people can move to a more sustainable way of of their in their own life, but also with their pets as well. Great, thank you. Well, we're very much looking forward to hearing some of your thoughts and advice on how we all, as pet owners, can become more eco-friendly, more sustainable, more green. And we've done some research about some of the most searched questions online surrounding eco-friendly pet practices. And we're hoping that you can explain to our listeners how they can make a difference with their pets. So if I could give you some of those questions. So if we look at eco-friendly dog items, are there such things as eco-friendly toys? Yeah, I think there are. I mean, it was really interesting. I was talking to Craig Bennett, who's the head of the wildlife trusts across the country, and he was talking all about, you know, recycling plastic and so on. But actually, I think we should try and avoid plastic altogether. We are quite addicted to plastic. So it's very difficult to necessarily find that, but we should be definitely moving away from plastic. If we are buying a plastic toy, then look out for one that's perhaps recycled you know that has been something else before and is and is now a toy i think if you're going for the type of toys that are perhaps made of materials look for organic materials you know so organic cotton it's obviously a lot less damaging to the environment so we can talk a lot about carbon but actually the the pesticides and the uh, fertilizers and things that we have to use to grow crops i think we have to move to a way of of looking at uh 
more organic solutions because obviously uh, th there is a danger in decreasing biodiversity by using too many pesticides in the production of things. So looking at materials that are produced in a more environmentally friendly way that will help with things like biodiversity, obviously I know you're very aware of that with your stewardship of, of farming and so on, Adam. Yeah, indeed. And and I know certainly, you know, I've got pets at home and I'll sometimes go out and buy a toy and they'll rip it to bits in no time at all and it ends up in the bin. So I suppose durability is important. Yeah, absolutely as well. And this is where obviously plastic is useful because it is a bit more difficult to, to break up. But I, I think also sometimes just playing with your pets, making sure that you take it out for enough exercise. You know, if we use a, a toy as a substitute to actually interact with our pet, then I think that's uh, that's a mistake as well. And what sort of toys would you recommend that you've come across? There are some really simple toys, aren't there? You know, a piece of uh, string, a piece of rope that you play uh, with a cat with. You know, sometimes the simple things are the best. Uh, you know, boxes, we all know how children, but also dogs like to jump into boxes and play in there as well. So they can be quite simple toys they don't need to be too complicated playing with you know a piece of grass stick obviously avoiding uh, having you know stick injuries or eye injuries because um certainly playing with sticks or even with uh you know some rubber balls can obviously damage uh, pets teeth and things uh, and obviously you can get stick injuries so you should avoid those sort of things but actually you know there are very simple things like pieces of string that actually can entertain cats for hours Let's move on to bedding then. What about eco-friendly dog beds? Yeah, I think, again, most of the research seems to show that disposing of things, I know in vet practice, you know, we'll often have vet beds and things, things that are, um, you know, you use once and you have to throw in the bin. One can be massively expensive. And I, I know one practice that actually changed from using disposable bedding to bedding that could be reused. And it actually was great for the environment, but it saved them lots of money as well. So similarly with bedding, I think going for more natural products is better. So, so sort of cotton blankets, some blankets and, and bedding will have plastic in it. Again, so again, I think we're trying to move away from man-made fibers, which often take a long, long time to decompose. So I think it's it's important to look for products that if they are disposable, they will decompose. But actually, and it, and it is difficult sometimes, but I think most of the research says that it is better to have something that you can reuse and wash rather than use once and throw away. So I would be encouraging people to go for, for things that are durable, that will last a good amount of time and are, are probably more, well, well, don't have man-made fibres of them at all possible because they often will take a long time to decompose. I'm a big fan of wool, obviously, being a farmer. So well, no. as well, of course, yeah. And what about poo bags? Obviously, you know, when people are out on footpaths and in the towns, you know, we're all encouraged to pick up our dog muck. And um, often those poo bags are plastic. This, Adam, is one of my absolute pet hates. If I was in room 101, I would be leaving uh, plastic poo bags in room 101. The, the irritating thing I see is when people actually pick up the poo, put it in a bag and then drape it on a tree or on a post or don't actually put it in a bin. You know, plastic takes centuries to decompose. Obviously, we can get poo bags that now will decompose. And I think they are 
pretty much essential. We should not be selling plastic poo bags because as disgusting as it is to find dog feces and cat feces on the road, it will wash away, it will decompose. Whereas once you put it into a bag, of course, you've got to wait for the bag to decompose before the poo can decompose. So I'm absolutely a huge fan of picking up, you know, your dog's muck. I think that's really important. I once remember as a practice, we we did a, a sponsored poo pickup around our practice area. I walked, went around with a shovel and with a um, with a wheelbarrow and we actually then weighed all the poo and we were sponsored by the amount of uh, poo that we'd picked up not something i would suggest anybody else doing it wasn't necessarily the most pleasant thing but i think if you're going to use poo bags look for uh, ones that will actually decompose and obviously get rid of that in a safe way and don't leave it in the environment because it's left in the environment. We all know how disappointing it is when we're walking around a beautiful part of the countryside. I'm sure you see this with your farming hat on and you see bits of plastic, you know, wafting around in trees. It really is not pleasant to see. And unfortunately, sometimes that is that is the poo bag. So disposing of it correctly. And I think probably local councils have a responsibility to perhaps be placing more poo bags around and and then it's education you know my wife is a teacher I think it's really important that we go around teaching our children who often then are the advocates and the evangelists to their parents and telling them you know how to behave properly in in natural areas yeah it's a great answer there I'm on with you there with um you know poo bags hanging on hedges and bushes and and you think, goodness me, I wish you'd just left the, the dog feces on the ground because it would exactly. just get washed away. So I completely um, hear what you're saying. And uh, and yes, and education is essential, isn't it? That we all learn what the right thing to do is because often you'll be scooping up the dog feces, putting it in a bag and thinking you're doing the right thing. Um, but if you're not disposing of it correctly, then all you're doing is adding to the mountains of, of plastic. So some great advice and answers there. Thank you very much. We all need a little help to be a great pet parent. So for those times when your four-legged best friend needs some extra care, Lifetime Insurance from Argria is there for you. And for them. With up to £12,500 of vet fees cover every year, Argria's dog and cat lifetime policies have been recognised as which best buys. So whatever's around the corner, take the worry away and let Argria protect your special bond. Visit argriapet.co.uk for your quote and use the promo code EARS, E-A-R-S, for your first month free and a luxury hamper for your pet. And so we all need to feed our pets. Of course we do. So what about dog food options? What have we got and and how do we choose eco-friendly food? It's interesting. I think this is an area that's developing all the time. We, We obviously try and educate our vets by doing webinars to the vets as well and I remember recently we've had a a webinar on on vegan diets I think that creates a lot of controversy dogs are not obligate carnivores like cats so you can feed a more sort of vegetarian type diet and get away with it but I think it's also important to make sure that what we're giving them is a is a balanced diet so that's still an area that I think will take time to to develop and find out exactly what is the right uh, thing to do Um, I have to just say a quick conflict of interest, but I've actually been really fascinated by the whole idea of insect pet food. And I've actually invested in a company that's doing that, obviously, with my with my green hat on with, you know, how can we produce food more sustainably? 
actually insect pet food is fascinating. It's obviously a protein source. It can be produced very quickly. It's very efficient. When you feed a cow, you know, corn or whatever, you have to feed it quite a lot of corn to make the same amount of the kilogram of, of meat. So obviously when we eat food, it's not the most efficient way of putting on weight. We lose that. Having said that, if cows are fed on pasture, then obviously nobody eats grass. So I think that's having more extensive systems is, is good. But actually, insects are incredibly efficient at converting food into weight. And they do that very, very quickly. And actually, a lot of the insect pet foods that's being created is being created by feeding the insects waste food. You know, as you know, again, Adam, we've, we've probably got enough food on the planet to feed everybody. But how we transport that, the amount of waste that we produce can be enormous. So having circular systems that actually allow waste food to be turned into something else like dog food is incredibly effective. And I think this is an area that is going to become more and more interesting as, as the years go by. It's obviously a, a fairly sort of early nascent industry at the moment. Obviously also insect pet food, insect food fed a lot to, uh, to fish that we farm as well. And I do like that whole idea of that circular economy, that circular production that, you know, has very low waste in it. I know certainly in agriculture, the monogastrics, the pig and poultry industry is looking very carefully at insect proteins and for humans as well. But if we're out there looking to buy dog food off the shelves, what yeah. sort of things should we be looking at in the labelling to convince ourselves we're doing the right thing? I think it's... It's important perhaps for us to look at how the food is actually presented to us. So aluminium tins or steel tins are a lot more easy to actually um, recycle than, than maybe some of the plastic foils that we find things in now. So so actually how it's carried, dry food, uh, you know, how what the bags are like, how recyclable they are. Then when you go into the food, it's interesting, things like chicken are probably you know, have a lower carbon footprint than, than beef will often have. So maybe be looking more at chicken and fish as protein sources that are more environmentally friendly than maybe some of the other uh, foods like beef and, and sheep. Although we have to then, of course, be careful because the pet food industry has often been a byproduct industry. So what we didn't eat was put into pet food. Some of that is changing with some of the premium brands. So we have to look at uh, how that can be looked at as well. So I think it is quite complex. The other way to look at it is to also accept that there is a carbon footprint to the food that you're feeding and maybe look at ways that you can offset that. And there are certainly some services out there that are now looking at, you know, you have a dog or a cat. Obviously, food is a major part of the dog or cat's footprint. Can we actually offset that? And, and put that money into really good projects, maybe looking to prevent deforestation in parts of the world. So offsetting can be an easy way of, of, of dealing with that as we try and move towards net zero as well. Indeed, yes. And I suppose what we need to do is make sure we're doing the right thing, don't we? First yeah. and foremost, and then offset where we can't manage to if there aren't the choices to make. And presumably in dog food as well, you need to be cautious of additives, colorings, those sorts of things. Yeah, I think a lot of diets now, you know, are trying to become 
more natural as well so people won't add additives and so on in that that's more for obviously the pet's health as well and i think it is important i mean it's it's a complicated area of animal science how you feed you know an animal be it a a cow a sheep or a dog or a cat so you can get things wrong so sometimes diets that maybe look very natural but haven't been balanced correctly can lead to problems so we we often saw in the past diets that were maybe low in zinc that caused dermatology problems and then if you took them and put them onto a better diet their skin improved so we have to be aware obviously as a vet my my first thing is i'm the advocate to the animal so i want to make sure that the animal is being fed a proper and balanced diet and i think it can be difficult to know sometimes because of some of that sort of where the animal food is coming from to know which is necessarily the most carbon neutral and in fact i think that's a whole area of the pet food industry that i think they need to do more work on so that they can actually let us know you know what what the carbon footprint is of that particular type of food thank you if we move on to the treatments for our pets the ones that yeah. um, as owners we can buy from stores um, particularly things like flea treatments there's um evidence that some of this um, can cause damage to the environment and may end up in our waterways. What advice would you give about treating our dogs? I think this is a really interesting area. Again, we've, we've certainly been talking this about this as, as a group of vets, certainly within Webinar Vet, which is the channel that I set up about 12 years ago in the online space. There was no online training. So simply by taking training online we've saved many millions of miles for vets traveling to courses they now as we're doing get onto their computer and can watch an hour of, of training and we've certainly had a really strong focus on sustainability within the channel as well and there certainly are products that at the moment we're unsure about i think again vets we want to have evidence-based medicine so we need to see that we're making the right decisions on things. But obviously, there, there are some pesticides that have been banned within the agricultural world, uh, which I'm sure you're aware of, Adam, that are used to treat, for example, fleas and so on in, in the veterinary world. Now, obviously, some dogs and cats will jump in, or dogs mainly will jump into to rivers and so on. And the worry is, do some of those pesticides come off the pets and then also uh, cause pollution in the waterways so i think this is an area that we've got to be really cautious about and i would be encouraging people whose pets swim a lot to perhaps think more about using products that are oral based rather than actually applied topically so i think that is an immediate way that we can we can reduce the risk of contamination Obviously, cats less likely, as I said, to to jump in in rivers. I know tigers like to, but uh, I've never actually treated a tiger with any of the uh, insecticide products. So uh, I, I think we're okay on that particular score. Thank you. That, yeah, that's good advice. Are there natural products that we could be using for things like flea treatment? There are a lot of things that are out there, and my impression as a dermatologist was that none of those worked particularly well. Because I was a dermatologist, I was often seeing animals that were allergic to fleas. And so it was really important for me to be treating those regularly. 
obviously most animals are not allergic to fleas and an occasional flea seen on a pet is not necessarily a big deal, although they can very quickly become a problem in the house, breed in the house and then cause problems, uh, you know, people being bitten. There are certain diseases that can be spread, not commonly uh, by fleas. Uh, but I, I remember if we go back a long time in history, Adam, there was a little disease called the uh, Black Death that I think was called <laughs> by fleas. So, so they, they can cause issues, but thankfully no Black Death in the UK. So we're okay. From We've had enough of one pandemic without having another one. But I think if you've got an animal that isn't allergic to fleas, treating it periodically is probably the solution, treating it more in the summer when obviously fleas are more common. But if, if they are going into rivers, I think maybe being cautious and thinking about using oral products rather than, than topical products. But yeah, I think, I think it is difficult. Those, those sorts of natural products really don't work very well. I mean, obviously, if you have an animal with lots of fleas on it and you wash it, then you will kill fleas by drowning. But the problem is that when you go back to the house and the house has several hundreds or thousands of fleas in the house, the dog will be repopulated by fleas. So you would have to be washing them very regularly. Uh, sometimes flea shampoos are, are sold and they have very re little residual action. So they will work on the day, maybe for a couple of days, but within two or three days, the fleas will come back. Some of the more modern products now can last for a month, up to three months. And part of the problem sometimes with flea treatment is we all forget to do things. We have busy lives. And if we're not treating, then suddenly we can end up with an infestation in the house as well. So it's um, important if your pet has skin problems that you probably do treat regularly with for fleas. If you don't have skin problems, maybe you treat as you become aware of fleas, but be aware that they may already be in the house at that point and you may need to to spray the house. And then obviously you're using insecticides there. There was a common product that we used to treat for scabies, which was a wash, and that was a really potent product. And again, if that got into waterways, there were, there were problems. But whether clients always disposed of that correctly was questionable, which was why obviously I've never recommended it. And again, taking it back to the farming system, some of the sheep dips were great at killing the sheep problems, the, the mites and so on, the Soroctes, mange, but, um, you know, could potentially have problems if they spread into waterways. So it is an area that we need to be much more cautious of, of than perhaps we have been in the past. You're making me feel a bit itchy. <laughs> right. Let's move on to cats. So what about litter trays and, you know, eco-friendly cat litter? There are definitely eco-friendly cat litters coming out now, obviously ones that will decompose. You know, if you're using cat litter that is, is not very, very environmentally friendly, you will use a lot of it over the course of a year. Um, my own cat is, well, he actually adopted us during the pandemic, but that's a different story, Adam. I could talk a long time about the cat um, that, that adopted us. He will only go outside and, you know, he obviously uses my garden as a toilet and obviously we find little evidence of that. Uh, so that in some ways is, you know, one way of, of dealing with it. But if you are going for cat litter, there are some very good environmentally friendly ones now that really sell themselves as environmentally friendly. We were talking before about pet food and 
I've not really seen any evidence of pet food saying we're very environmentally friendly. They don't talk about it. Whereas I think it's very obvious with the cat litter that uh, they're talking about litter that's perhaps been you know developed from wood chip and so on that obviously gets contaminated by the cat's urine or feces, but can be actually put away and uh, maybe into a composting or whatever to be to be composted. So uh, there are definitely some really good alternatives there. And it's just a case of of looking around for them. And obviously, not going to mention brands, but uh, if you go on the internet, there's there's definitely a number of those that people can take. Some really good insight there. You know, we do need to take our time, don't we? Do some research, think about it, yeah. think about the, the impact that our pets are having on the environment as well as ourselves. So just, Anthony, sum up for us in a couple of sentences then, what overall we can do as pet owners to be friendlier to the planet. Yeah, I think I I would start off by saying, look at some of the pet foods that are now out there. I think the insect protein ones are are really worth consideration because there is this beautiful circular economy towards them. I think using products that are environmentally friendly on your pets with regard to flea and worming, I think is, is really important. I think if you are using worming tablets, for example, look at how that feces is then disposed of if we can we should pick it up but let's pick it up maybe in bags that will decompose over time that you know can be maybe put into some sort of recycling system i don't think it's completely there at the moment how we would do that but definitely leaving it hanging around in a plastic bag on a farmer's fence isn't something that i would be encouraging I think with all of these things, it's having thought and thinking about what you're doing. And then finally, recognizing maybe that your pet does have a carbon footprint and maybe beginning to think in the shorter term until we start finding real solutions for some of these other areas, think about offsetting. We know that a a cat is probably about half a ton of uh, carbon every year that it produces carbon dioxide. A Great Dane is probably about four tons There are some uh, people out there who are already offering offsetting opportunities for pets. My own pet, my own cat has been offset and I also gave it as a present for my sister for her dog. So it could be an easy Christmas present to offset somebody's uh, cat or dog for them. Uh, But I think that the main point would be just be thoughtful about what you're doing and, you know, reduce, reuse, recycle, try to use less resources, things like those liners for for uh, litter trays you know do you really need them can you just scrape it off into the bin or into a recycling place if you're using recycled litter as well well thank you very much anthony it's been lovely chatting with you today now before we go if our listeners want to learn more about becoming a more planet-friendly pet owner where should they go as a vet we often um discourage people going on to see Dr. Google because people can go on and and make a diagnosis and come to their vets and and there can be a a conflict there because it's not the right diagnosis. But there is so much good information on the internet. I think reading around the topics, there are some fantastic books uh, that you can can read um, as well as all the information on the internet. Learning how important it is that we look at our carbon footprint learning about how biodiversity is actually falling and how we can actually make something about it. So 
I think there's a lot of reasons to be hopeful, but we we have to admit there are problems. So looking for how we can solve some of those problems, I think are going to be the challenge of this next decade. And I think we all need to go on that journey together. So the more research that we can do, looking at a number of sources, I think will help us hopefully to come to some really good solutions over the next decade. Thank you again, Anthony. And thank you all for listening to the second episode of All Ears. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, leave a rating and review, and let us know if there's anything you'd like to know. You can also follow Argria on its social channels at ArgriaPat, or visit them at www.argriapat.co.uk. Thank you.